How many of you know where you were at on this day 22 years ago? Might be hard for you to come up with it. You might wrestle with a question like that. Seems like an odd question. I know exactly where I was at. I know exactly where I was at. I was standing in front of a church about this time. It would be my very first sermon I would preach. It was on Father's Day of 1998, 22 years ago. And of course, we know with Father's Day, it is always the third Sunday, but that doesn't mean it falls on the same day of the month every year. In fact, it's a different day each year. But as I thought about this, and I went looking, in 1998, June 21st, was Father's Day. So it was exactly 22 years ago, this moment, that I stood behind a, a pulpit for the first time. Yes, I had preached little devotional things like we do at Graceperation, but I would take my first service on a Sunday morning. I don't remember what I said that day. I don't remember a single scripture I used. I had a different revelation of the Father back then than I do now. And that's okay. We're all growing in grace, right? We're all growing in this grace. We're all growing in this revelation of the Father. But I know I would have preached about His goodness. I know I would have preached about His grace. So it's special to me for a number of reasons. And that's one of them. Amen. I want to again wish uh, every man in here that's a father a happy Father's Day and those that will be listening by our internet uh, audience, I want to wish those fathers a happy Father's Day as well. Meet many, many great men of God and women of God out there. I want to wish uh, the men a happy Father's Day this morning. Are you ready for the word? In June of 1954, something very special happened. Do you remember what it was? I'll tell you what it was. In June of 1954, President Eisenhower insisted that the words under God be added to the Pledge of Allegiance. And on June 14th of 1954, all of Congress agreed with him and they put that into the Pledge of Allegiance. The pledge was originally written in 1892. And when it was written, it did not contain those words. It would be modified three times, and then on that fourth time, they would add the words, under God. For 62 years, our Pledge of Allegiance was void of God. Now, as we fast forward 128 years from that date, the date the Pledge was originally written, we can look at that and we can see the amazing declarations in there. But if you stare at that Pledge long enough, it doesn't take you very long to come to the conclusion, come to the realization that the Pledge of Allegiance is not honored by all Americans. Our flags are burned in our streets. And every time I see that, I want you to know it puts a pain in my heart that's tough to deal with. Because I think about the men and the women who shed their blood so that we could thrust a flag into our soil and say, this is my country. This is my flag. And I have looked at enough flags over the years. And for some reason, when I look at the United States of America flag, I think it's the most beautiful flag in the world. And I believe everybody should think that about their own country, to be honest with you. But there is something special about my flag. And when it's desecrated, when it's trashed and burned in the streets, 
There's an anguish on the inside of me that troubles me greatly. I think about the young men and women that laid down their life for us, that never came home to say, Mama, I'm home. Daddy, I'm home. Instead, they came home in body bags or they came home dismembered or maybe they were lost forever. Maybe a young man that kissed his bride goodbye and said, I'll see you in three months, but he never saw her again and she never saw him again. And do you understand what that begins to do to the family fabric, how that begins to wrestle and do things with our own hearts? And so I'm really fond of not just the colors of our flag, but I'm fond of what it represents. It represents that somebody laid down their life to give me freedom. Somebody laid down their life to give me liberty. And of course, it doesn't take a giant leap for us to be able to understand in a spiritual dimension that that was Christ who wouldn't thrust a flag into the ground, but his cross would be thrust into a ground and he would hang on there like a flag. He would hang there for you. He would hang there for me so that we could have the liberty and the freedom that he's always had in mind to give us. We feel more like the divided states of America than we do the United States of America. And because of the radical groups that want to separate themselves from our Constitution and our governing bodies, we can see that at play. Many desire to turn our republic into some sort of socialized monarchy. From Wall Street to Main Street, we are divided. Many no longer honor the sanctity and the character and the hope and the strength that is found in the words, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That's Papa's heart too. And on this Father's Day, I want to honor my Papa by just showcasing his heart a little bit. We are a nation that is under fire. We are a nation that is under siege. We are a nation that is under civil unrest. We are a nation that's under lockdown. We are a nation that's undermined. But let's set aside all of that darkness. Let's set aside all that dishonor, all that disrespect, all that craziness. Let's just set that aside for a moment. Because the last time I checked, we were still a nation under God's grace. And with those thoughts in mind, I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling Under Grace. I believe that grace is one of the greatest gifts the Father has given us. And in the early morning hours as he was communicating that to my heart, I was very teary-eyed this morning as I thought about what kind of awesome gift is this, Daddy? Grace! Because you know we need grace, don't we? Daily, we need daily grace. We don't just need grace when we fail. We don't just need grace when we come to Christ. We need grace every moment of every day. It's one of the greatest gifts he's ever given us. And if we think, even for a moment, that the sole function of grace is to save us, 
if we have reduced grace down to just a single event, if you will, then we have undermined, we have undervalued, and we have diluted the significance of grace. We have left the garden that emits the fragrance of the finished work of Christ. Because that's what you find in the garden, the finished work of Christ. And we are his garden. Grace is the gift that keeps on giving. Grace never sleeps. Grace never goes AWOL. Grace never crashes and burns. And grace never takes a sabbatical. Grace always supplies. Grace oversupplies. Every single need you and I have gotten, grace never runs out. <laughs> and having listened to the demands that are being made by rioters and looters and protesters and even some of our government officials, I have reached, I believe, the same conclusion that you would reach if you just thought about it for just a moment. And that is this. No amount of law, no amount of condemnation, in fact, no amount of incarceration will ever reverse the anger that we're seeing. The seal to Pandora's box has been opened. You see, you cannot mandate grace. And you cannot legislate love. They must be sown into the heart of a child. Anger is silenced only when we come under grace. That's why the gospel of grace is so vital in this hour. So important, so valid, so relevant in this hour. It's what changes our culture. It's what changes our world. It's what changes even our worldview of things. It's what causes you to love your neighbor. Friends, removing the words devil and demon and evil and Satan from our Bibles is not the pathway to freedom. Removing iconic statues and paintings from the walls of the Capitol building, the walls and the halls of the Capitol building, is not the solution to freedom. Trusting in Christ is where freedom is found. You can't find freedom any other way. It's trusting in Christ. It's not in gov we trust, it's in God we trust. Freedom is experienced. Freedom is embraced. Freedom is apprehended when we come under grace. Listen to me a second here. Trying to fix the nation's problems through concessions and the removal of external objects, including the blotting out of everything you don't like, is like trying to put whipped cream back into the can through the nozzle. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You've got a wrong approach. In fact, you'd be laughed at if you even tried that. As believers, we are called to be free. I'm as free as I feel like I've ever been in my entire life. 22 years ago, I had condemnation working in my heart in a big way. 22 years ago, I had guilt and shame and fear working in my heart in a big, big way. Yes, I had my moments when I didn't think about that. Yes, I had my moments where it seemed like it went on the back burner. 
And maybe those moments were more than a day. Maybe it was a week or two or three or four or whatever it may be. But then they would creep back in. I, I just didn't know how to get out of this spin cycle. We're called to be free. Free from what? Free from guilt and shame. Free from fear and condemnation. Free from bondage. And here's the one for you. Free from the opinion of others. I love that. You see, my freedom is not based upon what you think about me. Now, it was at one time. I may not like what you think about me. I may shake my head. I may be puzzled. My freedom is not based in what you think about me. It's based on what he thinks about me. And he loves me. He cherishes me. He adores me. He died for me. He shed his blood for me. That's good enough for me. We're free from bondage. We're free from the opinion of others. In our freedom package, if that's what you want to call it, grace takes away the need to bite. Grace takes away the need to devour someone. It takes away the need to destroy. So if we are still biting people with our words, we're biting people with our actions, we're biting people with our attitudes, then the bite marks themselves are the very evidence that we are not completely free in our souls. Now, don't get under condemnation. Get under grace. Even when we have to face truth, truth that stares us in the eyes, truth is not there to condemn us. Truth is there to bring us into agreement. Truth is there to bring us under grace. That's why the Bible says that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, we find these words. Man, I love the Apostle Paul. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Didn't I just tell you we're called to be free? Well, I borrowed that from Paul. He says, You are called to be free. But he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. What is that one command? Look at that one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to say, he says, if you bite and devour each other, Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. <laughs> why would we walk by the Spirit? I'll tell you why. Because the Spirit doesn't bite. He doesn't devour. He doesn't destroy. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Apostle Paul is addressing believers. How do we know that? because he calls them brothers and sisters. And I think what's important to understand here is that Paul is not giving them another list of do's and don'ts. See, don't go down that road, okay? Remember, grace and truth came through Jesus, right? So he has to speak truth into our hearts. He has to speak instruction into our heart. And I think sometimes that's really what happens. Somewhere along this trajectory, we got away from grace and truth in the family. And we ended up with what we we're seeing out there right now. So he's not giving us a, a list of things to do, but he is reminding these Galatian believers to listen to the Spirit. That's what he's doing. He said, I want you to listen to the Spirit. And he says, and in doing so, you will walk in love for your neighbor. 
You see, love does not bite. Love does not devour. Love does not destroy. Love does not gratify the desires of the flesh. Love is intentional. Don't just think that love is just going to fall out of you everywhere you go. Love is just going to seep out of you. Yes, it can do that. But love is intentional. In other words, you in your spirit, your spirit begins to speak to your soul, man, your mind, your will, your emotions. He begins to convey, I want you to love this person. And it shows up in different ways. But love is intentional. It really is. And it serves one another humbly. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl needs to know that the love that hung on the cross reconciled them back to God and gave them freedom. Freedom to love the neighbor that doesn't look like them. Freedom to love the neighbor that dishonors our flag. Now there's a tough one. Freedom to love those on Wall Street. Freedom to love those on Main Street. Freedom to love the neighbor that has different struggles than you do and I do. Sometimes we can look at somebody's actions, somebody's ideologies, and we can say they're so different than us. When you start behaving right, I will start loving you. No, love is intentional. It loves in spite of how you treat me. It loves in spite of the way you act, in spite of what you believe. Freedom to love the fatherless. Freedom to love the orphan. Freedom to love the widow. Freedom to love the strangers. Oh, those seem pretty easy. But how about freedom to love your enemies? That's what love looks like. That's what it means to come under grace. That we can love our enemies. Friend, you have to meditate on daddy's heart for a while in order to have love for enemies. I tell you what, I am growing in that revelation, to be honest with you. My flesh, if it gets in the way, it just will hijack your love bank every time. That's why you've got to meditate on Papa's heart, his loving, gracious heart. Friends, listen, when I was called to preach many years ago, I said, Daddy, I don't want to be just a fashion statement. I don't want to be just a WWJD bracelet on somebody's wrist. What would Jesus do in a situation like that? I want to be involved in people's lives. I want to speak truth and grace into their hearts and into their lives. And I'll tell you what, my father's honored that. He's honored that prayer. He really has. That's the power of freedom that we have been given through the loving shed blood of Jesus Christ. Through Christ's blood, we possess the freedom Listen to me carefully, to nurse back to health the bite marks of discrimination. In Christ, the Bible says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what is he saying? No discrimination. <laughs> no groups. No special classes. No elite. We need to lose that pauper and prince mentality. We're all sons and daughters in Christ. Friends, under grace is what put under God back in our pledge. A pledge not only to our flag, but to our lamb. And our new song is, I pledge allegiance to the lamb. 
With all my strength, with all I am, I will seek to honor His command. I pledge allegiance to Ooh, 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 the lamb. I wanted to sing it there for a second because he holds the note on that one right there. To the lamb. I pledge allegiance to the lamb. He said, I seek to honor your command. And what was the Lord's command? What is the lamb's command? Love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. That is only possible when you walk by the Spirit and when you come under grace. We need to settle this once and for all in our hearts that the old self was crucified with Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. We sang it this morning. And we are no longer slaves to man. Quit thinking like a slave and start thinking like a son the slave man was crucified with Jesus Christ. We no longer have to work like a slave to please Papa. We don't have to do it. We can lose, we can shed that mentality. We're sons, we're daughters of an amazing Father. Jesus' finished work on the cross left nothing for you and me to fix. He fixed it all. See, we come right out of the gate thinking we've got to fix something. No, his shed blood on the cross left nothing for you and me to fix. Jesus' finished work on the cross does not leave room in our hearts to be allured and distracted by external objects and external things that are going on. And Jesus' finished work on the cross blotted out everything that was against us, in particular our sin. The Bible tells us that our sins and our lawless deeds He has taken away and He remembers them no more. That He has taken our sins away and our sins and lawless deeds He remembers no more. In Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 14, these are some of my favorite scriptures. Why? Because I see the death, burial, and resurrection, not only of Christ, but I see it in you and me. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 14. Look what he says. He says, for we know. We don't guess. We know. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. What is the old self? Well, the old self is the old nature. The old nature that loved to bite. You remember that old nature? The old nature that loved to devour its neighbor. The old nature that loved to destroy everything that got in the way of its own agenda. That nature was destroyed. That nature was crucified with Christ. That is what the old self is. That nature was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. We should no longer be slaves to biting and devouring and destroying. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. It says, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. I'd say amen to that, wouldn't you? We know that Christ was raised from the dead. We know that he cannot die again. I don't think we'll get any disagreement on that. Death no longer has mastery over him. I'd say yes and amen to that one too. The death he died, he died once for all. Yes and amen fits there. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Yes, yes, amen, amen, amen. Yes and grace and peace and grace. Right there, yes. Now, look at those next four words. In the same way. The same way. 
that Christ was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. In the same way, you cannot die again. Yes, you're going to die physically, but you cannot die a spiritual death again. Death no longer has mastery over him, and in the same way, it no longer has mastery over you. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, and so did you. In the same way, it says, count yourselves or reckon yourselves, it's an accounting term, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Those are some shouting verses right there, man. Oh, there's our covenant right there. That's the new covenant right there. Friends, you want to reduce the Bible down to a new covenant statement right there, right out of Romans chapter 6. In other words, what he's saying uh, through these scriptures, he's saying in a sense, be led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit to take a walk in the flower garden of life. Do yourself a kindness by inhaling the sweet fragrance that's found in the truth of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We can count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God, in Christ Jesus, quit smelling the wilted flowers of your sinful past. I have no desire to turn back this clock far enough to go smell the flowers, the wilted flowers of my sinful past. Why? Because I'm doing what he says right here. He said, in the same way, I'm counting myself dead to sin. I'm not going to die again. That is long gone. That has been buried. I came up out of the grave in Christ, the new creation in Christ a sweet fragrance into his nostrils. That's who I am. That's who you are. Quit resurrecting the slave man so that he can go out and burn flags on Wall Street and Main Street. The decayed body that was once ruled by sin has been done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message that declares under God, under grace. He continues, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. In other words, we do this out of gratitude, not out of obligation. We do this out of gratitude. And then look what he says here. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Remember, under God, under grace. That scripture right there was the inspiration for this message. We are under grace. Isn't that beautiful? So let me ask you a question. Now, I'm going to put my hand up first so you don't think it's a trick question. I know ministers do this sometimes. They ask you questions and you begin to wonder, is that a trick question? I don't want to feel embarrassed. I'll put my hand up first because I'm going to say yes to this uh, question. How many of you, like myself, believe that it would be basically impossible for a veterinarian or a pet groomer to work their way through their entire working career without being bitten? I mean, 30, 40, 50 years dealing with cats and dogs and never get bitten. I mean, simple reasoning and enough opportunity and deduction tell us that the odds are stacked against anybody that works in that profession of being able to go through their entire career without being bitten. I think that's a fair statement. Every child is going to skin their knees. Every fireman is going to inhale smoke. 
Every ice skater is going to fall. Every balloon is going to lose its air. And every pet groom and every veterinarian will be bitten. Now here's the strange thing about what I'm saying. All that the veterinarian and the pet groomer have in mind for your pet is good things. All they want to do is provide loving care to your animal. Nevertheless, some of those animals are going to misinterpret the caregiver's intentions and motives, and as a result, they are going to bite them. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. Why doesn't every pet bite? And if one breed bites, why doesn't everything within that breed bite? Well, friends, it has more to do with the owners <laughs> than it does the animal itself. And so it is with us. All that the father has in mind for his children is loving care. He wants to communicate to us about our freedom and how alive we are in Christ. He wants us to know that grace is the gift that keeps on giving the Father wants us to know that we no longer have to be a slave to fear. Daddy wants us to know that we are no longer under the law. We are under grace. So here's the question. Why in the world do some believers still bite? Why do some believers still devour? Why do some still destroy? If not someone else's life, their own. Now listen to what I'm about to tell you. It's because they have either not believed or they have not understood or they have not embraced the truth that they are under grace. They have not understood the magnitude and the scope of what it means to be under grace. For generations, ministers and teachers have unintentionally, I'll give them that, misrepresented daddy's heart by mixing the old covenant with the new covenant and in doing so, they have reinforced, they have fortified, in a sense, a message that has no freedom and no liberty. Now, some people won't like what I just said there. But I can take you into the scriptures and I can show you where the Apostle Paul said the exact same thing. He said, if you want to obey the law, then you've got to keep the whole law. Because if you stumble in one part, you're guilty of breaking it all. He says, so let's just set that aside. Is that what you really want? Or you can fall into the loving hands of grace and not be concerned about this law. But when you mix them together, you're going to walk around in a state of confusion. You're going to walk around in a state of condemnation so much. You cannot mix these covenants together. In doing so, they have reinforced a message in our hearts. And it's a message that we cannot find freedom in, a message we cannot find liberty in. Through their lifeless message, they have tied a dead man to a living man. They have tied a free man to a slave man. They have tied a wilted flower to a fresh picked flower. They have tied a non-biting dog to a biting dog. They have misrepresented the father's intentions. They have misrepresented the father's motivations of love and grace. That is why they still bite. That is why they still devour. That is why they still destroy. It's simply they misunderstand, they misinterpret. In September of 2006, my wife Valerie insisted that we get a little dog. <laughs> it was a little Shih Tzu, the cutest little thing. That dog was nameless for several days because we were trying to figure out what would we call this little dog. 
And we went through all these different names. And finally, Valerie said, she shall be called Hattie. How many of you know once you release a name and you start calling, whether it's a pet or a child, that no other name seems fitting after that? And she said, I'm going to name her after my grandmother. That was my grandmother's name. Uh, if there's any resemblance, it's purely coincidental. <laughs> she said, I'm going to name her after my grandmother. And Valerie did something that was pretty awesome. She went out and bought a book called Puppies for Dummies. And she read some things in that book that were really super smart. One of them was when the dog is just a puppy. When you lay the food down in front, the bowl of food down in front of the puppy, you let the puppy eat for a couple of seconds, then you take the food away. And Hattie would eat for a couple of seconds, and then she'd take the food away, and pretty soon Hattie would be looking up like, where'd my food go? And then you reinstitute the food. You let the dog eat for a little while, you take the food away. You keep doing that over and over and over. See, what the dog learns is, if you do take something away from me, I'm going to get it back. There's no need to bite you. There's no need to devour you. There's no need to destroy your hand. I'm going to get it back. So often when we feel the threat of something being taken from us, whether it's a liberty, whether it's a freedom, whether it's an object, whatever it may be, we have a tendency to do the same thing. But haven't we learned in all these years that the Father has a myriad amount of ways of giving things back to us? I mean, the scriptures tell us even when the thief is caught, he'll make him repay many times over what he's stolen from us. And so she trained that dog at a young age. In fact, one of the things she got out of the book when the dog went to the bathroom on the floor, how I many you know every little puppy's going to go to the bathroom on the floor? Valerie would scold the potty rather than the dog. She'd say, bad poop, bad potty. And Hattie would walk around it like, that's rotten stuff. What is that? I mean, what a great, who come up with this stuff? Psychology 101, whatever this is, but it worked. And so when Valerie over the years would have to give Hattie a haircut, oh man, that was a job. That was a, oh man, that was a two-hour job, maybe three. Cut that dog down and everything like that. That dog, that little Hattie, every once in a while, she hated haircuts. And when you put that razor on her, she would, she would go, like she was going to, I'm going to bite you. But she wouldn't bite because she was trained at a young age. There's no need to bite. There's no need to devour you. There's no need to destroy you. You've got the best intentions for me. But when people get led down a path that it doesn't look like daddy's got the best intentions for him. And that's what happens when you start mixing old covenant with new covenant. You get confused. Is daddy going to bite me for doing this? Is daddy going to destroy me for doing this? Is he going to devour me for something like this? And I've heard these things. I still hear these things to this day by believers. That I'm under the judgment of the father because I thought this or I did this or I said this. And I have to step up and say, no, that's nonsense. Stop it. We may lose our friendship, but that is not the father that I know. And you can't take me to new covenant scriptures where he's going to do that kind of stuff to you. You stop that nonsense. What was Valerie doing? Puppy training. And you know what puppy training requires? It requires discipline and it requires dedication. It's not a one-time thing. Discipline, dedication, 
The same thing that parents ought to do for their own children. Discipline. Dedication. Sadly, the twin towers of discipline and dedication are missing from the skyline of the family fabric. Under God, under grace, is missing from many homes. If we're going to turn our nation toward God, then it starts with a commitment to our children to bring them up in the graces of God, to help them understand at a puppy age, at a young age, come on now, you're with me on this thing. I'm not calling our kids puppies, but you understand where I'm coming from this thing. You see the continuity here. To train them at a very young age so that they understand what's taken away is coming back. They understand that what you do is for my own good. And what's happened to me, you have a myriad way of restoring. The Bible says he restores the years, the locust, the caterpillar, the canker worm, the palmer worm have eaten. Daddy restores them. Makes me excited. Does. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, you knew I was working my way that way, didn't you? Oh yeah, you knew that, didn't you? Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old... He will not depart from it. How many of you know that scripture? <laughs> Come on. That one gets slung around quite a bit. The words train up refer to both discipline, which is instruction. It is not a belt out behind the woodshed. This word train up is discipline, which means instruction. And it means dedication, which is the setting apart. When you dedicate something, you set it apart. You set something or someone apart for a purpose, for value. They have value. So this proverb instruction to train up a child carries with it a charge, if you will, to parents to be committed to a goal or a way of life for their children. And what does this require? Consistency. This requires a message that tells their children from out of the gate, they are under grace. Train up a child in the way he should go. In the Hebrew, it is Hana Na'er El Pidera. I'm not trying to impress you with any Hebrew here. That's what it means. Hana Na'er El Pidera. It means to initiate the child at the opening of his path, his mouth, the mouth of the path. In other words, right out of the gate to initiate the child. Behind our English word train is the Hebrew word chana. Does this sound a little familiar? In Hebrew, chana means to initiate. It means to instruct or to introduce, or even a better way to say it, to invest. In other words, parents, don't wait for someone else to instruct your children in the graces of God. You initiate that. Don't wait for the church to introduce your children to the goodness of God. You initiate that. And parents, don't wait for a time that seems better, a time that's down the road, a place on your calendar that seems more convenient at this certain age. Don't wait for a time down the road to invest in your children and your grandchildren. You invest in planting the unconditional love of God in their hearts, even from the opening 
of their mouths. You see, one thing I've learned about a baby, when you're feeding them, if you just barely touch their lip like that, that mouth will come open. It doesn't know what's in that spoon. Oh, it'll let you know if it likes it or not. But from a child, they're so open. They're open to receive what you have. And if we're taking the graces of God, the love of God, the unconditional love of God, and we're putting it in their hearts from a child right out of the gate, then that becomes their foundation. Do you see how important it is? This is how we got into the situation that we're in in this country right now. We got away from out of the gate showing them the grace of God, telling them about Papa's unconditional love, misrepresenting his heart. Again, the Hebrew word behind our English word train is chana. Chana is a kin word to the Hebrew woman's name, Hannah. What does Hannah's name mean? It means grace. That first word train is related to grace. He's saying there, I want you to see that the instruction to train up a child has its roots in grace. I know we're in the old covenant, but the old covenant always is shadowing what is to come, the substance that is to come. And even back then, under an old covenant, the Proverbs writer Solomon wrote these words. He said, listen, it has its roots in grace. I can't fully maybe explain that to you because the Bible says that men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes they wrote things and they just went and looked at it and said, I'm not sure exactly what I just wrote there, but that's what I heard the Spirit say. We do that when we prophesy sometimes. We say, here's what I'm hearing the Lord say. Now, I don't know what this means to you. And so we'll release it and we'll say, I don't know exactly what all that meant. And that's what they were doing even as they wrote. They were sometimes writing something, not even knowing about a new covenant that was going to come, not even knowing the name Jesus, not knowing about a Jesus that was going to hang on the cross and take away the sin of the world. And they were writing things like this to say, listen, if you want to see the body of Christ come into this revelation, he said, it begins as a child. You train them up. And friends, listen, that doesn't mean we have to turn everybody back into a baby in order to get this instruction. Because even when you come to Christ, I was 34 and a half years old when I came to Christ. But you know what I was? I was a baby. I was a baby wanting to be trained up in the scriptures, wanting to be trained up in the heart of the Father as he began to dispense and release his goodness and his grace. And there's a perfect time. The Bible says there's a time for everything. The Bible says everything is beautiful in its time. Grace is beautiful. I can't even imagine that something else would come along, some other revelation. We went through word of faith and we went through prophecy and, and healing movements. And now we're seeing this proliferation of the finished work of grace. I can't imagine that something could ever come along and eclipse what we're experiencing now. What would it look like? What would it be? I think this has been the Father's heart all along. And we can look all the way back into Proverbs 22, 6, and we can see from that very first word, train up a child. It has its root system in grace. Isn't that beautiful? When it says to train up a child, it refers to instruction and it refers to dedication. 
And in preparation for this message, I couldn't help but think about Hannah. When I saw that Hebrew word, Hannah, and I began to think, well, that looks a lot like Hannah. And I looked up Hannah, and I saw she was right next to that in the concordance, just a few numbers away. And I thought, wow, here's a woman whose name is Grace. And what did she do? She dedicated her baby unto the Lord and brought him to the temple. Friends, that's what we've got to do. Dedicate our children. I'm talking about those that are fresh in Christ, those that are newborn in Christ. That's why I'm so passionate about this gospel going out and changing people's lives. Now, we are in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Let's stay in context, okay? I just want to show you a couple of other things and I'm going to close this message. Let's stay in context. We're in Proverbs chapter 22, 6. Let's see if we can find grace and truth within this context, Okay. So in order to do that, we're in verse 6. We'll go back to verse 1, which is five verses back, and then we'll go up five verses, so we'll find 22.6 right in the middle. You ready? Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1. He says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving grace rather than silver and gold. What does that scripture say to you? Name speaks of identity. That's how we identify ourselves. Who's calling? Could you sign here? Your name speaks of identity. And so when he says a good name, he's saying a good identity, a good character, essentially. And what he's saying here is that identity and grace are superior to silver and gold. Is that what that scripture is saying? He says, a good name is rather be chosen than great riches and loving grace rather than silver and gold. He's saying identity and grace. Friends, that's been our message since we planted this ministry. You need to understand your identity. You're a son, no longer a servant. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. Identity, no longer a slave, no longer a servant, son, daughter. And then he says, and loving grace rather than silver and gold. He's saying those are superior. And through Proverbs, he's telling parents that they have a responsibility to instruct. Parents could also be pastors. Parents could be also your friends at Bible study. Those that have this revelation that can put teaching into your heart. They have a responsibility to instruct, to introduce, and invest these truths into the hearts of their children. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that the world operates on entirely different software. You agree with that? It does. It's just the opposite. The world teaches us, the commercials teach us, the movie stars teach us that great riches like silver and gold are what's most important. Look at my status. This all came to me because of my silver and my gold. Friends, let me say it once again. This is how we lost a generation of our children, sitting them in front of a television and letting the world tell them what they're supposed to look like, rather than out of the gate saying, this is your identity, that father's a good father, that you have a good character. This is your identity, that loving grace is better. It's better, it's more profitable than gold and silver. Now, up five verses to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 11. This comes from the Living Bible. I love this. 
He who values grace and truth is the king's friend. <laughs> he who values grace and truth, well, that's Christ. Remember, grace and truth came through Christ. I'm the king's friend. You know, I see my father as a father, and I see Jesus as my brother and my savior, my king, but I see him as my friend too. He's a friend. He said it with his own words. He said, I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I've seen that in life too. I've seen friends that would lay their lives down for you, but brothers wouldn't. He said, he who values grace and truth is the king's friend. Two weeks ago when I ministered, I did something I don't normally do, and I want to do it one more time. I want to have a call to action here. I'm not trying to put a bunch of do's and don'ts upon you, but I'm just saying, listen, if your heart is like daddy's heart, and you understand that uh, the responsibility that we have is to feed those babies. The responsibility we have is to sometimes take things away. I'm talking about taking away erroneous ideologies and belief systems. And you're going to find you've got a fight on your hands when you start doing stuff like that with people. Stuff that they've held sacred for so many years. And you come in with a different message. I was telling Valerie on the way to work here. I said, I know I've got friends that don't believe exactly the way I believe. And how do I know that? Because they never want to talk about Jesus. And yet they're believers. And when you do start talking, they get very quiet. Because they, they feel like the only thing that I could say would go against what you're saying. Friends, I'm talking about daddy's heart. Can't you see daddy's heart? He's not looking for slaves. He never has been looking for slaves. He's always been searching for sons and daughters and friends. So the call to action, I never want to forget this, is to pray. When I say pray, I'm not talking about calling down fire from heaven on people that you don't agree with. Come on, we see that in the Bible, don't we? We see Elijah doing it. And we see the disciples asking to do it. That's not Papa's heart. When we pray, we pray for opportunity. We pray for the Father's heart. We pray for manifestations. This is what prayer looks like. We pray for people to be able to see the goodness of God. Pray that way. For people's eyes to be opened. That they might see this grace. Number two, love. What does love look like? When I say love, love is not always loving from a distance. Love is up close. Love is personal. Love is compassionate. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The only thing that can change our culture is love. And the only way to change hate is you have to love. Love is not always easy. Love is not always convenient. Love costs you something at times. But we must love. You've got two choices. You can say, Daddy, just, let's just pack this thing up and let's just be done with us. Get out of here. That's one option. But let me ask you a question. Would you do that if you knew for a fact there would be millions of people that would never see the staircase of heaven? and would be lost for an eternity. But if you stayed, and the body of Christ stayed, those millions would come in. Would you really want to be that selfish to say, I'm tired of this, let's just get this over with, and let's go. I've said this before, and I mean it when I say it. 
I want you to hear my heart on this. I'm not expecting you to side with me and agree with me on any of this stuff. But I've said this before. If there was a man sitting right there on the front row, and I knew he was lost, and the father said, Mark, if you'll lay down your life right now for that man, because without you laying down your life, that man will never see heaven. I would say, Daddy, I'd count it an honor. I would count it a privilege to lay my life down for a stranger, a wicked man. I'd count it an honor. That's what love looks like. That's what Jesus did for us. So when I talk about love, friends, I'm talking about finding ways to be intentional about His love. Intentional about His love. Meditate on what His unconditional love looks like to you, what it feels like to you, and then replicate that love to others. We must pray, we must love. Friends, we must share grace resources. You see, most of the world has not heard the finished work of the cross. A big percentage of the body of Christ has not heard the finished work of the cross. And so it is so simple for us to take and share grace resources. When I planted my Facebook page several years ago, I said, Daddy, this will be for your glory only. I'm going to make this a spiritual adventure for you alone. And I'll reach out there and I'll take friends of mine that minister to me, a person like Paul White or a Peter Swart or a Jeremiah Johnson or a Connie Witter or a Sandra McCollum or somebody that I know. And I'll take and I'll share their grace resources, not for my benefit, I've already listened to it, but for the world's benefit. And it's so easy to do. If you like what you hear and it ministered to you, you know what? Share it then, and however you can. It's a one-click share, and it's on your page. But you know what? You have friends that I can't reach. And I have friends that you don't know of. But together, we can reach a much larger group. The word that they listen to might save their life. Teen suicide is skyrocketing right now, especially among the black community. Skyrocketing right now. And people are desperately searching for a way out of this chaos, desperately searching for a way out of this darkness, desperately searching for a way out of this hatred and anger. You know, hatred and anger is like acid. It destroys the very container that holds it. And they're looking for a way out of this, but they've not heard the gospel of love. They've not heard the gospel of daddy's grace that he's no longer mad at you. Everybody in their family was mad at him. He's not mad at you. That doesn't mean he condones and he approves of everything you do, but he's not mad at you. He loves you. We got to share love. We got to share gospel resources. The next one is we've got to instruct, introduce, invest. Instruct those babies coming into Christ. Instruct those babies being born. Instruct those grandchildren being born. Instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Let that grace message begin to attach to their little lungs and their little hearts at a young age so that they live and eat and breathe and grow up speaking God's grace. We've got to instruct. We've got to introduce them right out of the chute. And then we have to invest in them, friends. And invest in them comes in different ways. Invest might be something as simple as paying for a child's schooling so that he can go to a Christian school or helping with those tuitions. You know what? Our son, Joe, he spent his high school years in Christian school. 
And after the ninth grade, it was a tough year. It was a tough time for us. He went back to the Christian school, but they wanted four or $5,000 for that year. and We just didn't have it. And so I put Joe in a public school. It was the very same school I grew up in. And I knew that school and I knew things had deteriorated in that school. And it bugged me daily because I made a commitment to Joe. I made a commitment to his mom that he would always stay in Christian school. Well, that was if everything went well with the finances. And finally, one day after about two weeks, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I went down to that school. It's the first time I had stepped in there since I had gotten out of school. I went to the principal office and I said, I've come to get my boy. They said, your boy? I said, yeah, his name is Joseph. And I told him who he was. And they said, well, he's in this room. And they walked me down to the room and we opened that door and I stepped in there like I owned the place. And Joe saw me and his book closed up and he got up and he said, I'm out of here. He knew what I was there to do. And then we put him back into Christian school. And yes, we paid for some of it, but relatives and friends helped pay for that. But this is my point, is we find resources and ways to invest into our children and our neighbors, the ones that we're instructed to love. They don't have to be blood related to you, but we find ways to invest in our children, in our people. And then finally, we've got to trust in him. We've got to trust in him. That's what dedication means. When you dedicate a child to somebody, you are saying, I trust you with him. I trust you with her. I'm dedicating my child to the Lord. I'm trusting you with my treasured possession. We can trust the father with our kids. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. I cannot promise you that there won't come a day, even in our lifetime, when the words under God will once again be missing from the Pledge of Allegiance. But I can promise you this, that the words under God will never be stricken from our hearts. That I can promise you. Under the Old Covenant, man pledged his allegiance to God through obedience. Under the new covenant, the Father has pledged His allegiance to us through the obedience of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? It's just the opposite, isn't it? Under the new covenant, the Father has pledged His allegiance to us through the obedience of Christ. The Father promised that if our old self would be crucified with Christ, that the body that was ruled by sin would be done away with and that we would no longer be slaves to sin because the Father said that anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Friends, this is Daddy's pledge of allegiance to us. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Grace cannot be reduced down to a single event. Grace is the gift that keeps on giving. Grace never sleeps, yet it's always at rest. Grace never goes AWOL, yet it takes us on a journey. Grace never crashes and burns, yet it has destroyed the fiery darts of condemnation. Grace never demands. Grace always supplies. As dear children of God, we are called and we are empowered to be free. 
free from all forms of bondage, free from the slavery mentality, free from the desire to gratify the flesh, free from biting, free from devouring, free from destroying our neighbors, free from condemnation, free from the wilted flowers of our sinful past, free from flag burning, free from the wounds of our ancestors, free from religion. Friends, there are going to be times when we skin our knees and when we inhale the smoke of poor decisions. There are going to be times when we feel like we've fallen and times when we feel like our balloon has lost its air. It is in those times that we must put ourselves in remembrance that our Father has pledged His allegiance to us. His intentions and His motivations can be trusted. Papa is never out to harm us. He generously provides every need, every loving care, for us in our time of need. It is in these times that our Father wants to reinforce in us the freedom we possess and just how alive we really are in Christ. He wants us to know that the grace He gives us is the grace that keeps on giving. The Father wants us to know that we are no longer slaves to fear. On this sunshining Father's Day, Daddy wants us to know that we are no longer under the law. We are under grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Daddy, I just want to praise you. I want to thank you for your grace. I have seen that you knit your grace into the fabric of humanity, and it's so beautiful, Daddy. Cause us to want to invest in our children, not those that are just our natural children, but the children of others that we know. Daddy, there is an awesome amount of ways to be able to do this. But first, we have to walk by the Spirit because the Spirit is a chatterbox and the Spirit loves to talk. The Spirit is always right so we can trust Him. We thank You, Father, that the Spirit never bites us, never devours us, never destroys us. We thank You that You're lovingly patient as You just so gently and so carefully nurture us into this grace, this beautiful grace. I want to thank you, Father, that the loving kindness of the Father can work through us, work through us to heal our nation, work through us as we pray, work through us as we love, work through us, Daddy, as we set aside things and dedicate the people of this world to you, Daddy, and as we invest and instruct and introduce them in this world. Daddy, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Father, that you have raised up fathers that have taken this gospel of grace and they are running with this gospel of grace, illuminating the way so that others can find their way home. And I want to thank you, Father, that Jesus, Jesus understood this grace. The Bible says that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He allowed his flag in the shape of a cross to be thrust into the soil of the earth so that he could hang there like a limp flag on a day without air. Because what did he do? He breathed out his last air and all went silent. The flag went limp, Daddy, as Jesus hung there for all humanity so that we could say to one another, the Father has reconciled you back to him. You are no longer under the law but you are under grace. In Jesus' name, amen.